Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I do have a few comments I'd like to read. Some of them, well, one of them is really long, and the other one is actually not too short either. But uh, I'm just really happy to get these comments. This one is from Australia. It says, Dear Mr. Leap, I have finally made myself sit down and peck out a comment on my smartphone. Every time I hear you lament the fact that you don't have a comment, I kick myself because, as I like, I am sure so many other avid listeners do. Think I must comment, then get caught up with so many other things. But be assured, I listen to all your shows, as I do with every show on kpcg.fm, way down here in Sydney, Australia. Says, I started to listen to your show when you did the book on the lady and her hawk. Says, sorry, the title is lost to me right now. But I was hooked and I have loved every show since. I listened to it as I work cleaning. Makes it go by so quick and I am always so disappointed when you say that you have run out of time. Says, I am probably not an avid reader as yourself. Not because I don't like it, but because I never really know, have known what to read unless someone recommends it, except for um, some church literature, which I am an avid reader of. I usually read books that come to me. Just after you did the program on Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, the book fell into my hands at a church garage sale, so I read it and thoroughly enjoyed it. I have been looking for Manchester's Churchill book, but it hasn't yet come my way. It says so, but I'm sure it will. I could write my own book on all the blessings I've received in my life, and your show is one of them. I just loved hearing our teens today. They were inspiring. If anyone says they don't have time to read, they need to look at Jude's schedule. God has great plans for him in all of our teens. It makes me a little sad when I see how blessed with so many opportunities our teens have compared to my early years but I can't complain as God has given them to me now. I just need to do some catching up. My favorite book, I think, would have to be Mr. Armstrong's biography, which I am reading for the third time. There are so many inspiring lessons, and God just leaps off the pages so you see him work and through Mr. Armstrong. It's hard to put down. So along with all that, uh, at present, I am reading Chronicles and for some light reading. Little Woman, which found me yesterday on the side of the road, I read it as a kid and looked forward to going down memory lane. So from all of us around the world who love JBL, just remember that just because we may not make comments very often, we are still listening and are being inspired to read just the best literature. So keep up the good work and look forward to the lineup for 2019. Greetings to your lovely wife and looking forward to Mr. Brandon's input. So that's from down in Australia. So I'm sure James will be happy to hear that people want to hear him. He hasn't even been on the radio yet. So that'll be fun. Okay. Now, here is uh, some other comments from two people that remain, want to remain anonymous. 
And they sent me this beautiful card of George Washington. And uh, inside here was this letter. It says, Dear Mr. Leap, and this is two different two different comments, so they, they both say the same thing in, in, in greeting me. It says, Dear Mr. Leap, I'm, I gratefully enjoy your delightful JBL show. It has been such a blessing in my life. It is truly fun and educational. I am so excited about the JBL Washington shows. Recently, I visited Mount Vernon, and it was a memorable experience. I recommend it to everyone. Now, here's, here's part two from a different person. It says, Mr. Leap, this is from another grateful listener of your JBL show. Since the very first program. Now, that's really good to hear. It says, the discussion panels add much to the program. They are very much appreciated. I believe that you and your wife make a wonderful team for JBL. Thank you so much for all of your great work. And so there's a P.S. I may not always comment on Facebook, etc., but I am always listening. And there's a big smiley face. So I really appreciated that. So, uh, uh, again, anybody out there, if you're a little hesitant to comment, you can do it. Even if you have a smartphone, you can do it. I just learned that. So, again, thanks for those comments and keep those comments coming in. Well, on the last uh, program, we finished our discussion of the life of George and Martha Washington. And it really is truly incredible, the exciting life that they lived. And they really did help found the world's greatest superpower. Now, if you really just take some time and think about it, they really did set an inspiring example of what a faithful marriage can accomplish in this world. There is awesome power in a marriage when a man and a woman join together to serve the good of their nation. And certainly they set a great example for that. Well, for today's program, what I would like to do is give you several lessons in leadership that we can take from the life of George Washington. And and these are just a few that I could think up. Uh, I'm sure that you could find more yourself. And, and certainly that's what you want to do when you read a biography like Paul Johnson's, you want to begin to think, well, what, what does this mean for me? And I think, I think one of the most important things that we could say about George Washington is that he was definitely a man of sterling character. And uh, we know that he knew that for America to be a success, we would have to be a nation of people made up of uh, sterling character. And um, I think George Washington, from what I understand of reading Paul Johnson and, of course, reading some from Ron Chernow about him, but I think George Washington did have a sense of his own historic destiny. I think, I th- I think he knew that he was involved in something great, and I believe that he, he believed God had him involved in doing something great. And I think, I think in some ways, when I think of... of uh, George and Martha Washington, I do think of, you know, Winston Churchill and his wife, Clementine. And uh, I, I think, uh, you know, Winston Churchill came to that understanding that, that he had a date with destiny. And I think George Washington uh, you know, came to, the, to that same conclusion. And um, if, if you read through Johnson, if you read through even some of his letters and uh, the things that he wrote, remember that George Washington was so meticulous in keeping records of what he was thinking and keeping records of his own correspondence and uh, you know keeping records of what what he was doing and I think he knew 
he knew without a shadow of doubt that his life would set a precedent for all future presidents. And in other words, he really worked hard to live, uh, you know, a personal moral life. You know, he he loved his wife. He wasn't out, you know, carousing and and uh, you know you know chasing other women or you know out partying. And uh, they they did everything together. They had a lot of people into their home, and uh, you know you know one year they had over two thousand guests in their home. And so, so you know, they love people and they love serving people. But I think he knew, he knew his life was going to set a precedent for future presidents. And I think Martha even knew that her life would set a precedent for future first ladies. And you know, they they did a, they did an awful lot. And so, so, but but he knew, he knew that if America was going to be great, and even the way they crafted the Constitution. You had to be a moral, God-fearing person to make the, you know, to make the nation work, and uh, you know, I think for for uh, even the the early pilgrims knew that, and uh, certainly uh, you know George Washington continued with that. I mean, he did. He he maintained a strict control of his own personal morality. He worked hard at being just towards others. Um, you know, he entered government early, even in Virginia, you know, and he fought for the, the rights of other people. And, of course, we know that he even he hated slavery. But, uh, uh, you know, in some ways, he, he just, uh, you know, needed to figure out a way to fix it. And, of course, uh, in the last program, we talked a little bit about that, that, uh, you know, right before his death, he freed, you know, a lot of his slaves in Philadelphia so they could be free men. And so, so, but, but George Washington stood firm in his convictions, you know, even to his own personal sacrifice. And, uh, I think, um, you know, Johnson does give us a good insight into that. If you just, uh, if you have your Johnson book there, or if you're going to turn to it later, I just, I kind of murdered that word gonna, if you're going to turn to it later, um, I need to improve, uh, some of these things. But um, uh, you know when I'm speaking, but um, the, the the thing is that I want to just read to, to you that that if if uh, George Washington really believed something, if he really had this strong conviction, he stuck to it. He didn't care what anybody else thought. You know, he, he just uh, I think he did the the deep thinking. He did the you know he examined himself. He examined. You know, is this the, the right thing to do? Is it a moral thing to do? And if he was convicted, he stuck with those convictions. And, uh, you know, here's what uh, Johnson has to say about this. When when uh, Washington was in the, the Revolutionary War, um, you know, he was away from Mount Vernon. He, he uh, was away from it for a long time, and, and uh, one of his relatives was taking care of it for him. And of course, you know, being on the Potomac, it was uh, kind of open season for British warships, and um, you know that that uh, they could you know come into you know as far as in as uh, you know Mount Vernon with the with the warships. And uh, what he did is he found out that that his cousin Lund Washington, or one of his relatives, I I'm not sure if he's a cousin or uh, maybe a nephew, uh, I can't remember, but anyway. Um, he found out that Lund allowed the British to come in, 
and uh, he actually fed them. And uh, this really was disturbing to George Washington because he knew that but what Britain was doing to America, what Britain was doing to the colonies, it was really a usurpation of government that had been established in the colony for a century. And so, so he knew it was unjust what, what uh, the British were doing to, to the American colonists. And, and he, he stood up for it. He fought for that. But here's what Johnson says. It said it was precisely because he appreciated the heroism of his troops and sympathized with their sufferings that he made every effort in his power to stiffen civilian backing for the war and prevent any truck with the enemy. Now, by the word truck, he means any association with the enemy or any support of the enemy. The quote continues, An important letter to Lund Washington in charge at Mount Vernon has survived, in which he rebukes Lund for supplying a British naval sloop anchored below the house with food in return for a promise to leave the estate and its slaves alone. Now, here's a quote from Washington's letter. It says, That which gives me the worst concern, he wrote, is that you should go aboard the enemy's vessel and furnish them with refreshments. It would have been less painful circumstance to me to have heard in your consequence of your noncompliance with their request that they had burnt my house and laid the plantations in ruin. So there is an example of incredible conviction. Is, is he... He believed in what in the cause of the Revolutionary War so much, and he believed that the troops were really suffering, and they were they were going through these personal sacrifices to win this war. That that if it meant him losing Mount Vernon, that was okay. I mean, that's that's real conviction, and uh, you know we need to be convicted for things that we're a part of as well. So. So he was definitely had, had incredible character, and he didn't care what other people thought of him. When he was convicted, he was convicted, and he stayed, he stayed with it to the end. So I think there's something we can learn from that. Okay, the second point I want to make is George Washington was a man of great humility. You know, he never did put himself above others. Uh, you know, he, he knew he had his weaknesses, he knew he, he wasn't necessarily the greatest strategist. He knew that he wasn't the greatest uh, tactician with war. But, but he, t- he took the job on, and then he, he dedicated himself to it. And he learned. He learned as he went. Um, but, but the thing is, he stuck it out. And the, I think that the greatest thing about George Washington, I mean, he lost more battles than he won. It's usually he only won three out of ten, but he knew he he could see enough with what was happening in Britain. I mean, he he understood what was going on with Britain. The British really didn't care about the war, but he knew that if he just could hold out, that he'd win because they they had no desire to win, and so so uh, um, you know, even in the war, let's say. You know, it, it 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 wasn't about him, you know, achieving military greatness. Uh, even as military leader, he was more concerned about his troops, and uh, they were always his number one concern. And you know, in history, there, there everybody talks about, 
you know, the Battle of Valley Forge. And, uh, of course, at, you know, at Valley Forge, it was really, it really was, you know, a horrible time. But there were other battles that were just as horrible. And uh, I think we all know, uh, just even from our own, you know, let's say, high school history, we knew or, or we should remember that the conditions were absolutely brutal. Um, a lot of the men, their clothing were, were in tatters. Uh, many of them didn't have shoes. Um, there were many of the wounded soldiers, they died from exposure. Um, you know, there was typhoid, there was jaundice, there was dysentery, there was pneumonia. And, uh, you know, George Washington was always trying to get, get things from Congress. He was trying to get them blankets and clothes and ammunition and shoes. And, you know, 2,500 American soldiers died in Valley Forge. Now, why did they stay? Why did they stay there? And uh, the historian David McCullough tells us the reason why they stayed at Valley Forge is they really loved Washington. And why did they love Washington? Because they knew that he loved them. And he, he did not just, you know, put himself above them. Is, is he knew their importance and he treated them with respect. And, uh, you know, so, so again, you know, he, he was a man of great humility. And, of course, then when, when he became president, and we've talked about these, you know, his first term was relatively peaceful. But his second term, you know, there was uh, the, the big fight between Jefferson and, and Hamilton. And, you know, John Adams at times would, uh, you know, th- kind of make comments that he was kind of stupid. But, uh, you know, in his final address when he retired, you know, he basically said to them, you know, you better not do this. You know, you better be humble. You know, you you uh, you better not get into factionalism. You better not get into partisanship. You know, you you should really put the 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 whole health of the nation as number one in your in your brains. And uh, uh, he could see problems coming. And uh, you know, I really think if if we could bring George Washington back to life today, he would not be surprised by what is happening, you know, in America. I think he'd be very upset about it, but he would not be surprised. And so, so he, he, he knew human nature and, uh, that's why he worked on himself so hard. And, uh, you know, he knew he needed to stay humble to do the job that, uh, really he had to do. Okay. The third point I wanted to make was, um, it's very interesting, but George Washington was not corrupted by power. And, uh, you know, Johnson really brings this out. And it it is um, it, it's something that other people talk about as well. Is uh, you know when they were just about ready to win the Revolutionary War, there was all this trouble with Congress, you know, and the the, the soldiers were really upset that they weren't getting paid, and um, you know, uh, Congress was not um, necessarily uh, giving them the money they needed for you know arms and munitions. And so, so there was, there was this real feeling that what uh, what some of the soldiers were actually doing is they they wanted to actually abolish Congress and just make like George Washington king, and um, he did not like that at all. Let me just read you. This is uh, page seventy four from Johnson, and I'll, I'll go. I'll start in the middle of the page just to to uh, you know get you up to speed here. It says, clearly in many and anguished dealings with Congress, Washington had become aware of its glaring weaknesses. 
He had had a good war, the politicians a bad one. Franklin, to be sure, had played a valuable role in bringing France into the conflict, but the others had made little contribution. John Adams, while making snide remarks about Washington's generalship, had given him little help in paying and supplying the army. Jefferson had equally been feeble. Both had been infrequent attenders of Congress. There was no leading political figure the general felt he could trust. In the army, among the officers, this anti-political feeling was very strong. There was talk of abolishing Congress, setting up a strong government, and making Washington its dictator king, exactly the kind of thinking that led to Bonaparte's transformation into the Emperor Napoleon two decades later. A Colonel, Louis Nicola, an Irish Huguenot, who obviously did not know Washington well and was just the kind of ideologically-minded foreigner the general distrusted, was rash enough to put the suggestion to Washington in a letter and received the devastating reply, worth quoting in full, for it tells us so much about the man when thus roused to constitutional passion. So here's, here's what Washington wrote back to this man. He says, Sir, with a mixture of great surprise and astonishment, I have read with attention the sentiment you have submitted to my perusal. Be assured, sir, no occurrence in the course of the war has given me more painful sensations than your information of there being such ideas existing in the army as you have expressed, and I must view them with abhorrence and reprehend with severity. For the present, the communication of them will rest in my own bosom unless some further agitation of the matter shall make a disclosure necessary." I am much at a loss to conceive what part of my conduct could have given encouragement to an address which to me seems big with the greatest mischief that can befall my country. If I am not deceived in the knowledge of myself, you could not have found a person to whom your schemes are more disagreeable. At the same time, in justice to my own feeling, I must add that no man possesses a more sincere wish to see complete justice done to the army than I do. And as far as my powers and influence in a constitutional way extend, they shall be employed to the utmost of my abilities to effect it, should there be any occasion. Let me conjure you then, if you have any regard for your country, concern for yourself or posterity, or respect for me, to banish these thoughts from your mind and never communicate, as from yourself or anyone else, a sentiment of the like nature." And so this is what um, Johnson says. Washington thus rejected a crown far more emphatically than Cromwell did. And so, so uh, he was not corrupted by power. Okay, the, uh, the next thing or the next point that I wanted to talk about him in terms of his leadership is he was personally invested in the cause. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting um, you could go to Johnson on page uh, page 91. When he was confirmed as president, um, you know, he did not want to take any salary. And in fact, in order to go to New York to, uh, you know, to be uh, sworn into office and then also to live in New York, he borrowed 6,000 pounds to pay his own expenses. And so, so he believed in the cause of America. And, uh, Really, he, he he used his own money. He invested his own money. He he didn't want to take away from America. He wanted to give to America. 
And so, so that's the kind of responsibility he held. I mean, he held himself responsible. All right, quickly, the last uh, comment I wanted to make about his leadership is that, that uh, Washington was led by his vision. And uh, we've, we've discussed this several times in the programs. We don't have a lot of time for this one. But, uh, but, but George Washington, he may not have been, well, let's say maybe the most intelligent, or he may not have been the most knowledgeable man or maybe the most educated man, but he had burning vision for America and he had burning vision for a government that would work. And, uh, you know, he was led by his vision. And, um, you know, even when he was on the battlefield, you know, his, his, uh, he won some key battles. It was based on what he had learned from the battlefield. And uh, also, you know, he believed that eventually they could win. He never thought for a minute that they were ever going to lose. And so, so we all need vision. And uh, uh, certainly we've talked about that a lot. Uh, even here at the college, we talk to our students, uh, you know, about that a lot. That we need vision, and so, so uh, think about this now as we wind up this uh, this series on George Washington. You know, go back and study the history, but let's make sure that we also learn the lessons from his history. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time we will begin our discussion of Hero, the life and legend of Lawrence of Arabia. Now you can buy this book at Amazon.com. You can find a used copy of the book at abebooks.com, and of course. You can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. And you can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And remember, you can even leave me a comment at Facebook. So until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com get ready for months of exciting page turning with jbl's 2019 new season set to begin in the spring in the spring of 2019 a tribute to charles krauthammer we'll be discussing the book things that matter by charles krauthammer in the summer 2019 Three works by Joseph Conrad. We'll be discussing the books Allmeyer's Folly, Heart of Darkness, and Youth. And in the fall 2019, Herman Melville's classic epic Moby Dick. This will be a sea deep analysis of this American epic. Make sure to tune in to just the best literature for an exciting new season of reading and analysis. 